0: You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. The whole book of Hosea is from one angle a study of what it means to be restored to God, to turn back to God. It is a story of restoration. It is a story of renewal. We see it with Hosea's marriage to Gomer. We see it in God's marriage to us. It's a story of God's faithful love to his bride and his desire for them and for us to come and embrace his love and to enable him to love him back. God's relentless commitment to restore his people to himself is shown even in his clear warning of punishment, and the promise of life in this morning's passage. I've asked Amanda, our student ministry coordinator, to read that section of scripture for us this morning.
1: Um, Hosea 5:1 through 6:3. 3. Um, Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. Um, for you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor and the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah shall also stumble with them. With their flock and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord. But they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn of Gibeah and the trumpet trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Beth-Avon. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent out to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us, He has struck us down, and he will blind us up. He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. He is going out um, as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains, that um, that water the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Amanda. Let's pray. Father, we pray now as we look at this section of scripture, Father, help us to, uh, to get the main idea here. Help us to focus on what you're doing and how you are continuing to move towards us and finding ways to get our attention. God, draw us to your presence this morning. Convict us, change us as a result of spending time in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the hardest parts of being a parent, right, parents, is to watch your children face consequences due to their continual and repeated disobedience. I remember many, many years ago when my cousin moved in with my family. After being kicked out of her home by her mother and her father was away living in Florida, my parents invited her to live with us. My cousin, during that time, obviously was going through a difficult time And my parents tried to, tried their best to love her through it. To know about my cousin, she was a gifted cross-country runner, one of the best in the state, and would probably have gotten a scholarship to college. And my parents were her biggest supporter and encourager. In fact, my dad, I think, even trained with her for a 50-mile hike at JFK. But time after time, my cousin resisted her, their authority. Time after time, she rejected and resisted my parents' love for her. So my parents became more proactive in providing clear consequences if she continued to rebel, And she continued to reject their love. Why did they give consequences? They gave consequences because they hoped that she would acknowledge her rebellion and that she would have a desire to change, but ultimately that they could be restored. In this passage this morning that you just heard read, our Heavenly Father is very clear about the consequences to God's people and what they will face if they continue in their sin and rebellion. He desires so much for them to return to him and experience again his relentless love. Again, we're in this lawsuit that began in chapter 4 and it goes through chapter 5 and 6 this lawsuit that he has against his people due to their continual forsaking of the covenant, of breaking their marriage vows. He desires for them as well to return to him and experience this love again. But he's very clear that if they do not repent and turn to him, there will be consequences. Now, it's very easy to focus on this, on the people during that time, but I also want us always to bring it home to ourselves. So as we're going through this time together this morning, I want us to ask our own selves, what are areas in our life that we need to repent and turn to the Lord? Where do we, we we are stubborn and arrogant in our own lives that we need to, to run to the Lord and find renewal and grace. We need to ask ourselves, are we pursuing God who is worthy to be known, or are we seeking other things to placate our lives. So keep that in mind as we look at this text. Again, God's people's continual arrogance and decision to live a life apart from God will bring consequences. So let's look at it. The first part I want to see, the arrogance of God's people, which is the majority of chapter 5. And I want to then look at the appeal of our Holy Lord, which is the last verse in 5 and the first three verses of 6. So as you saw, as you just saw read, Hosea again is highlighting the rulers, and the priests. He is calling them to account for their guilt. Remember last week we looked at how Hosea was directly speaking to the priests, the leaders, the clergy. You have led my people astray. And again, he's reminding them of what they're doing. In fact, verse one, we learn that they become a snare at mitzvah and a net spread upon Tabar. The reference to mitzvah and to Tabar points back to a better time in Israel's history. In fact, Mitzah means watchtower. It was a place where the prophet Samuel had led the people to spiritual renewal. And also a rare victory over the Philistines. But now, during this time, Hosea clearly shows that it wasn't a place for spiritual renewal, but it has become debased and became a site of pagan pagan sanctuary and, and, and ungodly acts were happening. The, the, the word tabar means lofty place. And that was a no doubt a play on words. Since the flat top mountains is now the site of pagan high place of worship. Figuratively, the names referred to a high and lofty position of priests and rulers who used their prominence and position to make themselves the snare to God's people. You see, in the arrogance, the priests and the rulers turned holy sites, set out for God in a place of deceit and idolatry. You can see how far they have deteriorated in their walk with the Lord. Instead of of these rulers leading them to the ways of righteousness, the priests and rulers brought God's people in the way of idolatry. And we see the results. God's people, as a result of these leaders failing to exercise their spiritual duty of bringing people to spiritual renewal, we have an entanglement in sin and a depravity which goes further deep. In fact, it's a 200 long journey. The nation of Israel has sunk into low levels in the day of Ahab and Jezebel in the ninth century. It was pretty bad then. God then sent Elijah and Elijah to rescue them. And even their godly influence did make some impact, but the nation still persisted in idolatry. And now during the time of Hosea, they have gone deeper and deeper and deeper into their depravity. Deeper and deeper away from God, and deeper and deeper turning to other things that were empty. That did not bring healing, did not bring power, did not bring grace. And we see the impact then of this nation being led by rulers into this into this life of not knowing God, not pursuing God, but pursuing other things. And th- the impact of three W's I want us to remember. We see the withdrawal of God. We see God's wrath. And we see people's wrong turn. Look at verses 4 through 7. We see that God is withdrawing himself for a time. Hosea clearly communicates in this, these verses the impact of their continual arrogance of turning to idols. God, for a moment, has withdrawn the possibility of repentance. That's a scary thought for any of us. Although Israel has failed to know the Lord, even in this context, the Lord continues to pursue and know Israel. God sees that the people have become utterly defiled through the idol worship and that their deeds do not permit them to return to God. Because of God's peoples offered worship only in pretense, they will not find him. His ordinance that God appointed for worship were meant to deepen God's people's devotion to him. But now they practice in a way that manipulates God. You see, during this time, they have no qualms about mixing elements of Baal into their worship. And this is an affront. Why? Because God alone deserves our worship. He is the only one true God that we are to run to and to have a relationship with. And for Israel, we see that their sin will lead to a serious fall, right? The Syrians are coming. They will overtake them. God's people will be punished and disciplined for their rebellion. But even in this time, we see some same of, we see God's grace. Because even in God's withdrawal, withdrawal, we see his desire to restore his people. See, any hope of restoration is found not in immediate avoiding of chastening, but rather in the discipline of going through chastening. Hosea calls upon those who might listen, and most likely just a few, to accept God's verdict and submit to it. They must look to the future occasion where God will have mercy or in Israel again. See, but that's true for us as well. There are times as we continue to, to, to sin and, and we do not repent of our sins that we may face discipline due to that unrepentant sin. But for, as well as it was good for Israel during that time, it is good for our soul as well. Yet it is painful to go through discipline of the Lord, but it is good for us. See, the good news for us is that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ and the work of his spirit that will help us turn from our sin and to grow in our relationship with the Lord. What This this passage reminds us that rather than destroying his wayward people as we deserve, God disciplines us as a sign of fatherly love and favor intended to bring about repentance and spiritual growth. See, the glimpses of divine fatherhood here points to the work of Christ through whom believers are adopted as God's sons and daughters. And because we are his sons and daughters, he delights to make us more and more into the image of Christ. And that times may mean that we go through discipline, like we as parents discipline our kids for the purpose of them to know a better way, as Jamie reminded us this morning. God's withdrawal. But we also see another major impact. And that is one of God's wrath. If we continue to be unrepentant, if we continue to to be arrogant towards our God, God's wrath is coming. And we see that in Hosea 8, verses 8 through 14. Hosea offers a clear warning of God's wrath if God's people do not repent and turn to God. A national disaster is coming to Israel and to Judah. It was no empty threat, right? We can look back now and we see that Israel was wiped out in 7022 BC and Judah was wiped out in 586 BC. See, those, Hosea is reminding us, those who presume upon God's kindness and delay or refuse to repent of their sin and incur God's anger, which Hosea depicts in verse 14 as God coming like a lion. He will tear and go away. God holds out mercy to all who repent and return to him, but those who spurn that opportunity will experience eventually an eternal tearing. Now, let's be clear. God's wrath is not a child's temper tantrum. When he's, when your three-year-old is upset because you, he's He's, he doesn't like what you're saying. He's pounding, wow, 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 I don't, I don't want to do that, right? That is not God's anger. God is not out of control in his anger. God does not lose control. He's not losing his temper. It's never an explosion of motions or actions. It's never unpredictable. It is never without warning. It's one of God's perfections. And it's roused, listen, it's roused by the rejection of the love that he wants his people to experience. And especially as it relates, as they deal with idolatry, that it shows how they're rejecting and resisting the love of God. That is what rouses his, his anger. See, his anger is purposeful. It's reaction to sin and evil by means which he wishes to express his revulsion. And, but as well as calling people to repentance. We see in other places of scripture in Psalms and Revelation that God's wrath is also depicted as a cup or a bowl that the arrogant sinners will drink. But it reminds us of what, what Matthew 26, 39 reminds us that, that Jesus drank that cup, drank that bowl, so that you and I who come to him may avoid it. See, that's what happened on the cross of Christ. When he died on that cross. None of our sins are forgiven, but God, Jesus took the wrath of God. The wrath that we deserved due to our rebellion. Jesus himself received that wrath, took the judgment of God, so though those who are in Christ will never have to be, receive that wrath ever again. That is the good news for us, that God's wrath has been dealt with in Christ. We see God's withdrawal for a time. We see God's wrath. We also see a wrong turn in verses 13 and 14. Look, look at this. It says, When Ephraim saw the sickness, when Judah his ruined, then Ephraim went where? To God? No, where? To Syria. And sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or to heal your wound." They finally realized something is wrong. They finally realize that they're in trouble. But where do they go for help? Where do they turn to? They turn to their enemy, their arch enemy. They turn to one who will not heal, who will bring them destruction. They don't turn to the one who can bring them life and renewal and strength. Again, it shows how far they were from God. How much their arrogant sin has affected their judgment. Again, I'm reminded of my cousin who constantly turned to her friends who she got high with, and that led her to further rebellion and alienation with my parents, but also with others. But how about us? When we are struggling with our areas of sin in our life, where are we turning for help? Are we turning to those who truly love us, who want the best for us in our walk with the Lord? Are we turning to those who will lead us away from the Lord? I ask that about me. I ask that to our young people. I ask that to our, those who are more in the faith than me. Where are we looking to help us in our journey of faith? See, the good news for us, if, if you're here today, look around. Look around what God has given us. He's given us resources to help one another to repent and to return and to grow in our relationship with the Lord. If we continue in sin, God is clear. He'll withdraw himself for a more time. He will, wrath will be experienced and often we will make wrong turns if we continue to live that life. But what's amazing, even in giving the consequences, even we see where uh, he's very clear, God also is very clear that he promises us life. Look at the appeal of the Holy Lord. Listen carefully again to these beautiful words of hope, of restoration, of renewal. Yes, God will tear and strike down his people due to the rebellion, and unrepentant heart. But rather than driving them further from him, the punishment will bring healing and restore them to the right knowledge of and relationship with him. Listen to what it says, verses 1 through 6 say. 1 to 3 say in chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down so that he might bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up and we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He is going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers and the spring rain that waters the earth. As the promise of punishment was real and certain, so is his promise to rescue and bring life back to his people. God always leaves a remnant of believers. Even though people may have given up on God, God has not given up on us. Hosea hopes that spiritual awakening will come. Although Israel was struck deep in sin, God has not given up on her. Hosea's relentless love for his wife Gomer led him to persist, right, in striving and to hold for her affections no matter what she did. He spent years of trying to restrain Gomer's affection and to get loving responsiveness from her and he didn't give up. But even so, God is much more so. God is persistent. He's relentless with us no matter how deeply entrenched we are in our sin. He will do whatever it takes in his own character to move us towards repentance, towards faith, to break us of our arrogant pride and to bring us into our humble dependence. And look what he promises. Verse 1, his appeal offers us healing. See, God delights in mercy. God's delight to heal us. He desires to heal us from our sins. The power, the majesty, the sovereignty and mercy of God are in view here. He has a right in the ability to wound and to heal. But not only heal us, but to bind us. Not only does he have the power to heal us, he has the power to bind us, or to, in a sense, bandage us up. This binding, this bandage is tender. It's, a, it's like a parent who tenderly puts a band on their daughter's boo-boo after she falls, doing something she was told not to do. We don't yell at her or scream at her, but no, we take care of her. We bandage her up. In that same way, God deals with us perfectly and expresses compassion as a true father with a stubborn, disobedient child, firm discipline, yet genuine compassion. And then he heals, he bandages us up. And then in verse two, this is amazing. He raises us up. It says, after two days, we, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Here, as, he, as he's seen his people eagerly ignore him right he still is saying no i want to revise you i want to raise you up yes the lord brings down consequences for our sin but filing the painful discipline they would return to the lord with renewed zeal see hosea's prophetic words are mirrored in the experience of the prophet judah right who was raised from the death of the seas on the third day in fact there is nothing short of resurrection that is needed to bring this people back to life. There's, and in the same way, describes us, we need a resurrection as well because we were dead in our sins. We're so caught up in our sins that we needed a resurrection intervention. We all need a resurrection intervention. And these three day references point to Christ, right, who suffered, dying on behalf of God's people and was raised, what, from death on when? The third day. See, God is a resurrection in the life, as I did a funeral yesterday afternoon. I reminded us that Jesus said, I am the resurrection in the life. For every Christian here, he is our resurrection. He is our life. As Christ was raised on the third day, then we who belong to him will be raised with him. Healing, binding, resurrected life. Then we see in verse 3 a renewing. Earlier, Hosea speaks of God withdrawing his presence. Here he talks of God's return. Look, look at the beautiful passage. It reminds me a little bit of Psalm 23. But it, it reminds us that God will come like the warmth of sun. He will come like the refreshment of rain in a hot, dry land. See, a new season of renewal will come into their lives. And it will be like a sunrise. It will be like the freshness of spring rains. That is what God has promised to do with us. We see if we need to believe that we all stand in need of renewal. I need renewed, you need renewed. This renewal brings us back to where we began, that God wants us to return to Him through Christ, who is the spring of living water. And leads to eternal life. God is about renewing us, healing us, giving us resurrected life. That is a promise to his people. See, just recently my I got a call from my parents about an unexpected visitor. There was a knock on the door. And who was at the door was my cousin. My cousin has been in and out of their lives throughout these 58 years. And my cousin came, and she began to ask for forgiveness for the way that she treated my parents. She began to confess how her her heart led her to be in abusive relationships and to be involved in alcoholism. But something's changing in her. And so as my parents heard her confession, as my parents heard her story, what did my parents do? Reject her? No. Opened her, opened her, their open arms, welcomed her, and said, yes, of course we forgive you. Of course we are with you. In fact, ever since that time, my cousin now is going to church with him, where she's on a journey to figure out what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. See, God is still in the business of giving resurrected life. And Jesus invites all of us to repent and turn to Him. He welcomes all of us with open arms and His desire to renew us, to restore us, to heal us from our brokenness, to provide us tender care, to bandage our souls, to to provide a resurrected life and a renewing power so that we're able to fight sin and to grow in our relationship in Christ. So I invite you, as God invites you in this passage, come and experience this life through Christ. Both those in the faith and those not yet in the faith, come and experience this promised resurrected life. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that even as you remind us that there are consequences if we continue our sin for the purpose to restore us and renew us. There is that promise that you delight to to do that renewing, to do that healing, to do that work of grace. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone here this morning who's wrestling with sin after sin, that it's an area in life that you're just, we're holding on to, God. Help us, break us from that sin. Break us from our arrogance. Help us to know that that we have people who want to help us in our journey of faith. We have you that wants to bring our work of grace and renewal as, as you're doing in the life of my cousin. You want to do in each one of us. Break us of our pride. Bring us to humility. Help us to, to taste and see that you're good. Oh God, help us to know the work in Christ that has been already accomplished for us. That God, because of Christ, you have taken that wrath that we deserve so that we can experience a relationship that is satisfying, that is renewing, that is growing. Oh God, do that work of grace, I pray. Amen. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org.